Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Tonight's scripture reading is Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him, have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true right righteousness and holiness." What Keith has just read is Ephesians chapter 4, and if you want an outline of the sermon for tonight, leave that passage open on your lap. Ephesians chapter 4, and he read down through verse 25, and it introduces the lesson. We're going to take up with verse 26. <clears throat> and let me preface this with, you already know that on Sunday nights, I, I don't do it every Sunday night, but I, I'm always conscious of where people are headed into their week, and most people in this room are headed to a job. You've got lots of pressure, you've got lots of things to do, and you're headed back to your work. Some of you are in school, you're headed back to school. Some of you are, I don't know, lots of different things. But I think about our jobs. I think about the culture in which some of you work, the challenges. Go through the New Testament, you'll find a lot of people with different jobs, right? The Lord was a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker. Peter and Andrew were ship builders, or fishermen, rather. Uh, you have um, Demetrius, a silversmith. Lydia was a seller of purple. People had different kind of jobs then too. Now, the book of Ephesians is written, of course, to the Christians at Ephesus. This is a Gentile church. And, and what he's trying to do is to get their consciences in line and to train them. And it's not easy because, because the culture there had been so wicked. Now, you think about, I mean, that's just not unusual for the first century time of the church that lived and, and worked in that kind of a culture at that time. In John chapter 17, in the prayer, Jesus prays, I pray not that you take them out of the world. I don't want you to do that, but, I, but that you keep them from the evil one. That is, that is applicable to what we're talking about tonight. I want to talk about how to be a Christian on the job. Now, what's, what's impressive to me about this passage is that it's so simple. I mean, when you talk about how to be distinctive as a Christian, Here's, here's a great list. It's not comprehensive, but it's a great list for, uh, for how to do that. Simple principles that are Christian principles. And I want you to appreciate that in these verses that Keith just read, uh, he's describing, Paul's describing the opposite of these Christian principles. Look at it. Verse um, 17, like the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened. They don't get it. They, are, they, are, they don't get it. They don't understand. Being alienated from the life of God. How what a terrible thing to say about somebody. It was just true. Imagine that being said about you. How would you like to have that on your grave marker? Alienated from the life of God. 
because of the ignorance that's in. They don't know because of the hardening of their heart. Not only do they not know, they've settled into this kind of a life. They're past feeling. They've given themselves over to licentiousness. They work all unclean, uh, uncleanness with greediness. You ever know anybody like that? You, you think that's so terribly uncommon? Well, it's really not, of course. But you contrast Christians with this. And I'm telling you, it's light and darkness is what it is. It's the light shining bright in the darkness. Now, hold on to those verses that Keith just read. And let's take up with verse 25. There are five things I want to raise to the surface that are characteristic of distinguishing Christians on the job. This will be applicable to other kinds of walks that people may be involved in. I'm just thinking about right now the job. You go back tomorrow to work, and you're going to be with some people who are somewhat described, perhaps, by Paul's words here in 17 through 24. Here's the list. Verse 25. How do you distinguish, your, distinguish yourself as a Christian on the job? You do it by always telling the truth. Always tell the truth. One missionary wrote about Ephesus, and a historian, but also a missionary in those parts, wrote not long ago that, that even now the culture, that they don't feel anything when they lie. They lie for, for no reason at all. It's just part of, part of how they live. They just practice lying. It sounds like what Paul wrote to the to, t- to Titus about the Cretans, they're liars. They don't care anything about telling the truth. If, if a lie suits their needs better, well, they just tell a lie. It's nothing to them. Paul wrote and said, putting away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Now, the word neighbor there is very interesting, and it may cause you a little consternation when you study the Greek on that. The, the, the word neighbor means pretty much what you think. It's not just ca- Christians. It's about just people that you're close to. It's about your neighbors, right? People that are around you, so Christian or not. And yet the last part of the verse looks like Christians, for, for we're members one of another. Now, I believe he's talking about all of our relationships. We're connected. We're connected with people. You want to know how to break people up? Lying's a great way to do it. Now, if you want to know about lying, if you want to know the blackness of lying, and, and uh, Always know that lying is black. Always know that it's a dark, dark thing. And the way you grasp that is not thinking about you telling a lie to somebody else. Because in our minds, you'll kind of rationalize that out that it just seems so obviously the thing to do and it just makes life so much easier. If sometimes we tell a lie and we get out of the trouble, to get it, to understand the blackness, you have to think about a lie told to you by somebody that matters to you, somebody you trust. Some, some issue that is significant, something that matters, and a person you trust lies to you. Now you get it. Now you get the blackness of lying. And in, in our jobs sometimes, let me show you the next slide. In our jobs sometimes, we have these kinds of lies. This is not exhaustive, but it just gives a flavor for what we're doing, just a sample. One who purpose seals defects in a product in order to sell it. In my job, I want to be successful, and I'm willing to compromise truth in whatever it is in order to do that. When I was, um, well, several years ago, Cindy and I bought a new car. I won't say the name because I'm going to say something critical, but in the first thousand miles of that new car, and I was making payments on that car, first thousand miles, headed out to preach somewhere, on, on early Sunday morning, and she conked out. I mean, uh, liquid was pouring out from the engine transmission area underneath. We were sunk. Took it back. 
Oh, Glenn, don't worry about it. Now, the engine's got to come out in the transmission. We'll take them out. We'll fix them and put them back. I just bought the new car. It's a new car. I said, don't you think you could just give me another one? No, no, no. This is nothing. We do this all the time. And I thought, really, that's embarrassing. That must be really embarrassing to you. And I went back and talked to a mechanic when I picked up the car. And he said, never buy a new car that, that uh, is stamped that it was made on Monday or on Friday. Never do that. Okay, you understand. One who says, tell me I'm not at home, tell him I'm not at home when, when he is, or tell him I'm sick when he's well. One who intentionally, how about this one? This is a lie. So somebody who habitually exaggerates stories to make them more interesting. You color stories to make them more interesting to the people because people's ears get bigger. If the story's not, it wasn't, it really wasn't, really wasn't five miles. It was just about six blocks. But I said five miles because it just seemed so much more interesting, or one who habitually makes promises and then disregards keeping them. You're talking about ways that people lie. Sometimes people falsify records, and they do it because their employer wants them to do it, right? Go ahead and make up your mind. I was talking to a brother recently and about a particular job and somebody going into that job, and, and we made this observation that, that when you start your career, it'd probably be a good thing in the beginning to decide there's some hills that are going to be worth dying on. And one of them's lying. I'm just not going to do it. I, I can't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it for you and I won't do it for me. I'm just, I'm just not going to be a liar. All right, so here's the contrast. How do you distinguish yourself on the job? Verse 25 says, put away lying. Now here's number 20, verse 26. Here's the next one. By not letting anger get the best of you. Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Anger is not a wrong thing, but I tell you, you're in a dangerous position when you're mad. It's very much like alcohol, you know. Of course, alcohol is always wrong, but the point that I want to make is that when you drink, your, your resistance goes down. But isn't that what happens when you get mad? You get real mad and your resistance, you may say things that you would not say if you weren't this mad. You may do things that are detrimental to you and to your relationships, and maybe you'll tell your boss what you think of him. Hmm. 27 says, nor give place to the devil. Sometimes people let their anger get the best of them. Next slide. When is it sinful? Anger is sinful when it's excited without sufficient cause. I know what we do and what we should do when somebody that we're with is just angry about everything and everybody and he's just letting people have it. And, and what we want to do, hopefully we can, is we sit down with that person and say, come on now, what's the matter? What's going on with you? This is not like you. We talk that thing through. But what about if it's just his nature? And some people brag about it. You know, I always speak my mind. Whatever I'm thinking, I just say it. Really? Or two, when it transcends the cause. When I am angry and how I react because I'm angry sometimes is just hugely bigger than the actual incident, the actual problem, then anger has, I've, I've stepped over into sin. I can remember, now you're going to think this is an antiquated story, but there was, there was a time, believe it or not, when in a restaurant, it was restaurants commonly had a smoking section and a non-smoking section. There was an article in the newspaper one day, and I just can't forget it. So what happened was there was this woman who was a smoker, and she 
across the line and she was sitting in the non-smoking section where those non-smoking people are kind of reminded me of Naadi and the men's retreat. We have the, the snoring side and the non-snoring side and they cross over. And so she had crossed over. So she was smoking on the non-smoking side and, and a couple of the patrons on the non-smoking side, they were coughing, couldn't enjoy their meal. And they, they, they told the management, you know, this is, we don't want, we don't like this. She went out to the car, and this is not an exaggeration, this is what she did. She went out and got a shotgun, and she killed. She blasted one of those people who had complained about her smoking on that side. Now, I know that's an egregious example, but temper or anger can become sinful when it transcends the cause, or when it's against the person rather than the offense, and I desire not just to rectify the problem, I want revenge, but, but vengeance doesn't belong to me. It's, it's all right to want to fix the problem, but vengeance is not mine, not punitive. When it's cherished and heightened by reflection, you, 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 uh, you've ever experienced that? Sometimes in leadership, sometimes, sometimes an elder will, will sit down with a brother or sister who's in, in some sort of a sin problem and will talk that through. And maybe it's hard, maybe it's an uncomfortable, awkward, hard dis- discussion, but the person who's in sin will agree and, and take it in and, and agree that, that, that he needs to change. And then he may go off for a little while. And I don't, maybe, I don't know what you, how you would describe this, but after thinking it over and sleeping on it, his temper may just start, his anger may just start rising. And what he agreed with at the beginning, now he's very angry about. It can happen. And when I cherish my anger and it's heightened by reflection, and then it becomes bigger than it should, I do what's wrong. You want to be distinctive in your job? Here's where the light shines through the darkness. It was true a couple of thousand years ago in Ephesus. It's true in Huntsville, Alabama. Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Don't give place to the devil. Here's 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. By refusing to steal, I distinguish myself. I want the people around me to know, I won't lie. If I tell you something, it's the truth. I'm a person who controls my temper. It doesn't mean that I don't get angry. It's just that I, I'm not going to cross those lines. I won't do it. And I won't steal. Now, there's a lot of you can think of that a person can steal, right? I mean, on the job. So the simple one is that people people take things from the job place that don't really belong to them, and they abuse that. But maybe it's falsifying records. And, you know, you can do it a number of different ways. What's interesting about this verse to me is the abruptness. I mean, come on, give us some slack here. Couldn't you just say, let him that stole steal less? I mean, couldn't we do this gradually? Shouldn't repentance about some moral issues just be really gradual? Is that how you do in the bank, Cheryl? Just let it be gradual. I mean, you know, if you stole this much this year, steal less next year. I only, I only stole 50% of what I stole last year. Oh, I'm so proud of you. That's not how this reads. I mean, it is abrupt. This is really repentance. And I, I don't know why it shouldn't be applicable to a lot of different things. Let him that stole, stop it. Let him that stole, steal no more. And the purpose is kind of interesting. You know, I'm not going to steal. I'm going to work that thing which is good. There's a, there's a good work that I'll be about. I'm going to earn the money. And for what purpose? He says, so that you can give it away. You Christians are strange, aren't you? Don't steal from other people. You work hard. You make the money. And then 
you, you put it aside. You save some so that you'll have some money to give to people who have not. There's benevolence. There's benevolence. You want to distinguish yourself as a Christian? Don't steal. Here's 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. They do it by controlling their tongues. It's interesting to me that bad words change, at least some of them do, over generations of time. And sometimes, I mean, you take the old King James Bible and you'll find a couple of words in there that you won't use. Well, it didn't have the same connotation, but every generation has words that, that good people know are foul words. Corrupt communication can also be gossip and things of that sort. The word corrupt is what's most interesting in the verse, I think. I mean, to, to getting it, to understanding what he's saying here. Corrupt means putrid. It means putrid. It, and it has to do with, with vegetable, vegetable substance or animal substance that is rotting, rotted. Do you know any words that are like that? Well, maybe if you've been using them, you, you aren't thinking like that, but you should. The answer is that Christians don't have any business using the kind of language that, that good people, people find offensive. We're not offensive people. We, we don't use language like that. He says, you want to be distinctive? Don't be like the Ephesian heathen people. Don't be like that. Don't be like the pagan people. They've lost their conscience. They, they're ignorant and they've lost, they have no conscience. But Jesus didn't teach you to live like that. That's what he says. We didn't learn that from Christ. And then he gives us this rather simple list that to you seems obvious and to me seems obvious. It's because you've been studying the Bible. Here's James chapter 3 beginning in verse 5. Remember this? Even so the tongue has a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Better be careful about that tongue. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. That is to say there is no sin that cannot be described or encouraged with the tongue. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. You can mess up your whole life. Sets on fire the course of nature. And that's what that means. You have a circle and you have, you just line that thing with your finger and there's your whole life and it'll set on fire the course of your life. Some people can become their own worst enemies. Sets on fire the course of nature. It's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, a creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. This an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God, the Father. With it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. After, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Can a Christian speak like that? Can a Christian talk like that? Here's his point. Want to be distinctive? We don't talk like the people in the world. We don't use the language that they use. We don't have, we don't use corrupt communication or putrid language, putrid words, foul words. 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. And now 31. And here's the last one of our list. By letting go of conflicts after they're resolved. This is so interesting to me, and this is, these are strong words. Um, this, this, is, um, this is describing something that would be characteristic of somebody who wasn't a Christian. So it's going to be somewhat foreign to most of us, unless this is how you were before you became a Christian, and some may. 
have been this way. But I mean, this is, this is rough right here. These, these words are pretty tough. And, and it's about how I treat other people. All of these are how in the triangle that I live, I'm living in a triangle, you know, God and me and other people. How I treat other people reflects how I treat God. And so this is a list of things that has to do with my relationship to other people in the world around me, like on my job. And what if, what if I, what about, what about holding on to grudges? I would, I would put that as the heading for these two verses, 31 and 32. Now here are the Greek words, or here's the definition for these words in the Greek language. And I, I took the time to, to type them all out. This is uh, from Strong's Lexicon. I just want you to know how ugly these words are. And it describes the heart of some people when they hold grudges against others. And um, here's bitterness. And I drew out the definitions that are most, most applicable to the text and what we're talking about. Passion as if breathing hard. Metaphorically, bitterness, bitter hatred. Wrath. This one is interesting. The wine of passion Inflaming wine, which either, this is not about alcohol though. The word wrath is, well, we talked about it a while ago, how that, that, uh, alcohol and what it does to a person is kind of like wrath and what a wrath anger will do to a person where you start saying and doing things that you wouldn't otherwise do, sort of intoxicated or inebriated by the anger. And here, here's the Greek word, the wine of passion, inflaming wine, which either drives the drinker mad or kills him with its strength. Isn't that interesting? Anger. This Greek word means movement or agitation of the soul, impulse, desire, any violent emotion. Clamor, which is a word we don't use anymore. I don't know anybody who does, but it means a crying, an outcrying, screaming out loud, rage. Next slide. Evil speaking. The Greek word means slander, detraction. Speech injurious to another's good name. I want to hurt you because I'm angry. And malice is the desire to injure. Wickedness that's not ashamed to break laws. I'm mad. And I'm mad at you. And I'm full of malice. I want to hurt you. Not ashamed to break laws. Isn't that something? That, now, the reason why Paul describes these things is because that's the kind of atmosphere in which Christians were living in Ephesus. And he's saying, you want the light to shine bright? It'll shine bright, brightest in the darkness, and you're living in some of that darkness. Now, I, I do not suppose that you live in the most dramatic evil of what's envisioned or pictured here. I don't suppose you do. I don't know what you live through every day in your workplace, and I would assume it's much better than this. I hope it is. That's not the point. The point is that, that as a Christian, I can be distinctive, and, and these are some great, specific, simple ways that I need to shine as a child of my, my king. And there you have it. I, I, hope that, I hope this passage will mean a lot to you. I hope through your life you'll reread it. And it's, um, it's beautiful for the contrast. I'm so thankful to be a Christian. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it, it means that I follow a different law. And the longer I live close to Jesus, the, the more he affects the way that I think. I hope you have a great week. Hope things go well for you. Hope that you're able to, to demonstrate by the way that you live that, 
that Christianity is different. I hope when people know you and look at you, they want to be like that. What's his religion? What's her religion? She's different, you know. Maybe there's somebody here tonight who wants to become a Christian, and we'd like to offer our assistance for you to do that. We'll immerse you in water for the forgiveness of your sins, like the Bible says. Or we'll be happy to pray for you if you've got some matter going on in your life, or perhaps you want to be restored. Why, we'll be so happy to do that. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.